We're continuing our summer series in the Psalms, and uh, we're in Psalm 55. And this is David's confession. It's in a section of the Psalms. We, we did Psalm 40. You remember that, David in the pit. And from around Psalm 40 through to just past 55, 60 or so, um, it's a series of, of Psalms uh, by David, mostly, and uh, they're psalms about things that we struggle with as, as humans and as people. And uh, they're very um, open and they're very honest psalms. And uh, they speak to us. And so as we look at Psalm 55, and as you're turning in your, your Bibles there now to Psalm 55, um, as, as was mentioned, it's a psalm about betrayal. It's a confession of a betrayal of, in, that happened in David's life. And... Uh, and through those psalms, as you go through those ones that I mentioned, uh, David talks about betrayal a number of times. Um, he talks about uh, the betrayal of Doag, the Edomite, and then he talks about the betrayal of his, his fellow clansmen uh, of Judea who turned on him and betrayed him. But now here in Psalm 55, we see a very particular betrayal, the betrayal of a friend, um, of a trusted counselor of David's, and how that betrayal affected him. And uh, so we get to learn, as we put ourselves in the place of King David here, as we read this psalm, uh, in our own lives, putting ourselves in his shoes and understanding how he feels and what he's confessing and what the Holy Spirit has captured for us here in Psalm 55 for us to learn from. So let's just um, look into the Word of God, and I'm just going to pray before we open God's Word. Father, as we read your Word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us, as we know that he is and that he is opening our hearts and opening our minds and uh, preparing us to hear your word and that you have preserved this word for us for our instruction. And so we take it seriously and reverently and also with encouragement knowing that this is the God of the universe and still our loving Father who is speaking to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 55, I'll just read it and, you can, and then we'll get into the word. It says, For the director of music with stringed instruments a mascal of David. Listen to my prayer, O God, do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of my enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert, Salah. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Salah. 
men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, and yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, and yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half of their days. But as for me, I trust in you. That's quite the psalm. It's one of the psalms that they call the imprecatory psalms because David is feeling very strongly about his enemies <laughs> and particularly this friend, this counselor who has betrayed him. And so he has some choice words reserved in his prayer and in this psalm for that friend. But the psalms are an example for us, like all of the Old Testament. And the psalms and the Old Testament in general, I generally describe in this way. I often think of it this way when I'm reading the Old Testament and the stories of the Old Testament and in the psalms that God has painted in the Old Testament with a very large brush the stories, and he has written his lessons in the history of Israel and in the history of his people. And it's like he is painting for us as Christians now on this side of the cross with a very large brush the instructions that he means for us to learn. And so we take very seriously the things that are written in the Old Testament because at times an entire nation has suffered in part, in order to teach us a lesson. And so we should take it seriously. Paul says that these things were written before for us and for our instruction. And so when Israel goes through this, or a king goes through this, or something happens to a family, that is God painting with a very large brush, a very specific instruction for us to learn. And so we should take very seriously what God is writing in very large letters. Because he's writing these instructions in the history of nations and in the rise and fall of dynasties and kings. And so they're important lessons for us that God has not spared anything to teach us. And David in this psalm is broken by the painful assault of a broken friendship and a broken covenant. And so David's experience here is also a prophetic picture of what would happen even more profoundly in the future and in the person of Jesus, even God's own son. Jesus would say even of his own betrayal, he who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And I'm telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may, may believe that I am. That's in John 13. And so David in the Psalms speaks of a betrayal. And David as king of Israel is a picture of the king of Israel, the true king that is to come in Jesus. And he experienced betrayal. And David, however, was not so innocent as Jesus. And we are not so innocent, obviously, as Jesus at his betrayal. But if there ever was an innocent person who by no means should ever have been betrayed, it was Jesus. And yet he too had to experience betrayal by the very people that he created and loved. And Psalm 55 records David's torment and suffering by his own betrayal. But it also records for us and shows us how through faith we're able to overcome and recover from betrayal. So as we put ourselves in David's shoes, we, we understand and we relate how David felt, right? As we think of our own life, we think of being betrayed by a friend or by a co-worker. As Christians, we should be trying to be friends with our co-workers, right? We should be, you know, it shouldn't be competitive at work. We should be building friendships and we should be building relationships with our co-worker. But then as Christians, as we build these friendships in our lives, maybe at work, then, you know, all of a sudden it's who gets the next promotion. And one of these people that you thought was your friend suddenly says something to the boss and just undercuts you and chops your legs off. And you think, I, I thought you were my friend. 
and here you are throwing me under the bus with the boss so that you can get the promotion or, or you can stay on when there's layoffs, right? Or by a friend, we have people that we've spent our whole life with, maybe childhood friends, maybe friends from school that, that we thought were friends and they say things or they do things and we, they just cut us to the quick. Even a church family can do it. You're part of a church family and, and, and things are going along well for, for months, maybe for years, and then something happens within the church family. There's something that takes place and you feel betrayed by people that you thought you could trust, that you thought you were like-minded with, and, and you feel like you're turned out or you're cast aside by these people. Or even a spouse or a parent can betray us. Or a brother or a sister, people you were once very close to, trusted partners with maybe, and then there's been a betrayal. That's what this psalm is about. That has happened in David's life. Even though we aren't a king and we're not a queen, you know, and although we hopefully don't have people who are actually seeking to murder us the way David did, you know, or tear down our empire, it doesn't mean we don't know how David feels here. We know what it feels like to be betrayed by people close to us. We have been betrayed. Sometimes it's even been meant maliciously by someone seeking to harm. And then at other times, it may have been innocent. Quite often, I hope, the betrayal that we feel is from people who have done it quite innocently. They did not intend to betray us. They did not intend to cut us down. But that feeling of betrayal is still there for us. And so in Psalm 55, we see and we relate to King David as he goes through this, and we see God's answer and his instruction in this prayer and in what the Holy Spirit's preserved for us in the words of David. Now, how the psalm is structured is quite simple. David's prayer has three very simple divisions. It starts out, David, talking about his fear in verses 1 to 8, and then fury or anger in 9 to 15, and then because you have to have good three words that start with the same letter if you're a Baptist pastor, faith in verses 16 to 23. So you have fear, fury, and faith. If you ever want to remember Psalm 55, just remember there's fear, fury, and then faith. And so first of all, David begins by reaching out in prayer and unburdens himself to God. He says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. And so once he's before God, David just confesses his fear. He confesses exactly how he feels. David does not hold anything back here. And he might as well confess it because God already knows. And there's a lesson there even for us. When you go to God in prayer, you might as well just tell him exactly how you feel. Because he already knows. You're not going to fool him. You know, so don't try to pretend like you're, you know, better than you are or it doesn't bother you that much or you're not really all that hurt. If you're hurt, if you're wounded, just tell God exactly how hurt and wounded you are. And then he says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And this is interesting. You've got to remember, this is King David. This is the guy who probably before he was even a teenager killed a lion and a bear as a shepherd boy with just like a slingshot, right? And then he's barely a teenager when he fights Goliath. This is the David of David and Goliath, right? He faced down King Saul who was trying to kill him because he was so jealous of him and the leadership that was to come from David. And then he led his country through a civil war and brought it together again. And here is King David now praying like this, who's done all these things in his life and who's trusted in God on all these things. And he says, Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. This is not a lightweight. This is a guy who has been through things with God, who's literally faced down giants. And he's afraid. He is fearful. How does a king like this get this discouraged? It's because he's blindsided by betrayal. 
He is hit completely from left field, unexpectedly, from nowhere he expected. And we see this again in Jesus' example. And the lesson here in both David and with Jesus, I think, is that it's not inconsistent for those with true faith to break down in the face of great evil and in the face of betrayal. So as Christians, you don't have to feel like, well, I should just never be afraid or I should never feel that way because, you know, I'm a Christian and, and those are bad things to feel. It's not inconsistent for those with true faith to break down in the face of evil and betrayal. We have David's example, but more importantly, we have the example of Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he faced the horror of the cross, Jesus fell on his face in an agony of prayer, and he was under such strain in that garden on the night that he was to be betrayed that it says he sweated blood. The blood was pushing out of his veins. He was under such stress and strain. The blood vessels in his forehead were seeping blood through his skin. And in his true humanity, Jesus suffered and experienced the worst evil of this world. More evil than we can understand because he took on and knew he was going to take on the sins of the world that day. But he faced it and he was fearful of it. We preached last Easter on the fact that Jesus confessed that his spirit failed within him. That he was afraid. And it's vital for our salvation to know that Jesus has a sincere sympathy for us. You can, in your betrayal and in your fear at what might happen out of what has happened in your life in that betrayal or that hurt, you can turn to Jesus knowing that He has endured for our benefit. Jesus is not only the object of our faith, the one that we put our trust in, that we can trust Him for our salvation, but He's also the example of our faith. Jesus shows us even more profoundly than David can how a person of God starts in prayer during the most desperate of times. And so the first thing here is understanding David's fear. And David goes on and he says, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. He's so afraid here. We can relate to this too, right? He just wants to run away. He's like, I just want to get out of this situation, right? This is messy. Something has gone on in friendships. This is a close friend and I've been wounded and betrayed, but I'm not getting away from this. This is not someone far off. This is not an enemy who I don't have to speak to. This is a close friend who's betrayed me. And David is thinking, I would just, if I had wings, I would just fly away and I would just get out of this, right? How many times do we get in that situation in our life where it says, we just want to escape. We just want to get out of it. We just want to run away. But God does not give David those wings. God does not give David the opportunity to just run away and escape from the thing that he's facing. God denies David the opportunity of his escapism. And typically, most commonly, God denies us this as well. God leaves us in the midst of the relationship that has betrayed us. He leaves us in the midst of that wound. He leaves us with a co-worker who has done or said whatever, and we got to go back to work the next day and work with that person. He leaves us in the family member of the person who has wounded us or hurt us or betrayed us and we still got to show up at Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthday parties or maybe just go home at night. Maybe sleep in the same bed as that person who we feel betrayed by. God does not allow us that escape even though we, like David, might desire just to have the wings of a dove to fly quickly away and hide. But God doesn't provide that opportunity. And David knows he can't do it. He's a king. He's got to stay. He's got a job to do. You might be the head of a house or you might be a manager at work or you might be whatever. You can't just run away. You have to go back. And so Jesus, again, is an example for us. If anyone had the power to escape his trials, Jesus did. 
I mean, here is the Son of God. He said in the very garden where he was arrested, he said to his disciples, to Peter, after he cut off the guard's ear, you remember, he said, do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus said, do you think I, I can't get out of this? You're forgetting who I am. You disciples, you know, right? You confessed, I'm the Messiah. Do you not think that I can call legions of angels to get me out of this? Jesus could escape the burden of his betrayal and the harm that was to come, but he did not run. Instead, Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. And so we see here the fear that David felt, so much fear that he just wanted to escape from it. He just wanted to run away from it, but he knew that he couldn't. And then as the prayer goes on, you see the anger of David. You see the fury of David. David turns to his anger and his outrage and his fury against the wickedness of his enemy. He says in verse 9, Confuse the wicked, O Lord. Confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. David is angry here at the depth of the evil and deception of this betrayal that's going on in his city. And we're going to see what it's about in just a minute. The whole city is caught up in the traps of evil people. There is a betrayal that is going on that's not just a friend of David. There's a betrayal going on that's nationwide, that's citywide. This is an attack on his kingship. This is an attack on his dynasty in Israel. There's a murmuring in the city. There are lies and there are deceptive forces at play to destroy the social order of Jerusalem and ultimately to bring down King David. This is what's going on and he's angry about it. He's angry because of the effect of this betrayal on his nation and on his beloved people. He's angry on what he sees going on in the city. He's angry at this wickedness that has taken place. And we don't know exactly when this psalm was written or what it was written for, but it seems to refer pretty directly to the overthrow of King David by his son Absalom. And the account of that coup, that, that political uh, assault, is told in 2 Samuel 14-18. to But what's interesting in 2 Samuel is the reference in a chapter 15 to David's trusted counselor, this this counselor of David's inner circle. His name is Ahithophel. Now, I know there's young parents out there that are thinking about baby names. (laughs) And you're probably pretty tempted with Ahithophel, right? Because you can shorten it to, like, just Ahith or something cool like that, you know? So it's a pretty rocking name, but don't use this name. He's a bad dude, okay? So I know it's tempting, but Ahithophel is not the biblical name you want. Because Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor. He was part of the inner circle. And Ahithophel went to Absalom Absalom, and co-conspired with him to turn the people against David. And so that after this whole plot was carried out, so this would be probably sometime after David is observing this in the city, that there's this wickedness and deception and, and all these lies going on in the city, the plot sort of gets triggered. And over the period of a couple of years, actually, that it, that it starts to take place, but then as, as the coup happens, David covers his head and he bares his feet and he climbs the Mount of Olives and he's gathering his trusted people at the Mount of Olives and he's seeking to find favor with God to react to this betrayal. And at his lowest point, with his kingdom coming apart, we read in 2 Samuel 15, 31, it says, Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And so David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. 
Doesn't that sound familiar? That's what he wrote in Psalm 55. He said, confuse their speech. Confuse the speech of the wicked. So here is David. How does David feel at this point after all this time that it is Ahithophel that is part of the plot, his counselor, his friend, his trusted inner circle, he who he trusted with the secret counsel of the kingdom is part of the prophet, is part of the plot. And so Psalm 55 reads, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If it were a foe raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it's you. You just picture David when he's writing that. It's you. A man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with once whom I enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. This is a guy he went to church with. He thought he was his friend, and he just cuts him down, betrays him, tries to destroy his kingdom. And so you can just hear the agony of David at this betrayal. He expects it from his enemies. He does not expect it from his friends. And isn't this how we feel very often? We're dismayed because of the harm comes from people that you thought were friends. You know, one thing this shows us as Christians, if you look at it from the other side, is the high calling on us as Christians to be good friends, to not be Ahithophels, right? There's a high calling on us to our fellow Christians to be very careful that we don't betray them. We should know as Christians the importance of being faithful friends and the damage that we can cause by not being so. We cannot do damage to our friends lightly because the betrayal that they will feel, and they'll be right here in Psalm 55 with David. And we will be Ahith. We will be the ones who will be the finger pointed at us saying, I I went to church with you and you betrayed me. Do we think in those terms? David later says of this friend, of his companion, that he had broken his covenant. Do we think of our friendships in those terms? Do we think of friendships as covenants? That that we have a covenant-like responsibility to our brothers and sisters in the church, that we're not just simply friends, but we're family, and we're not even just family, but we're part of a shared covenant, a covenant that was established by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we've got to take friendship seriously. Betrayal hurts badly. And I'm not even talking about overt and grand, dramatic betrayal like David's betrayal but even far smaller day-to-day offenses that feel like betrayals, not even by people who tend to be malicious, but simply by fellow sinners who out of their own sin or carelessness cause harm to those that they're really close to, and it creates hurt and anger and a feeling of being betrayed. I mean, if you want to know how raw David is over this, he asked God in verse 15 to bring death on wicked men quickly, and in verse 9 that their speech be confused. Now, this is David, a prophet, and these are not wrong prayers, and they reflect the covenant truth of God himself. David is not saying anything in this prayer that God has not already said is true of wicked people, that their destruction will come. Not even stuff that God has not only just said, but stuff that God has already done to evildoers in the past. God confused the speech of men at the Tower of Babel when they rebelled against his instruction to go into all the world, and they gathered together and tried to build this great monument to themselves. And so God confused their speech. God's done that before, and David prays what God has done. God swallowed up the household of Korah into the earth when they disobeyed and they would not repent. And so David prays here that these wicked men would go down alive into Sheol, it says literally, that they would go down alive into the grave. So David is not praying anything that God has not already spoken of or even done about wicked men. They're not exactly wrong prayers, but they're dangerous prayers. And what can be said of them is that David is properly leaving the vengeance that he craves in the hand of God. That David is not saying, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. He's saying, God, you take vengeance. Vengeance on this and judgment on this is in your hands. David is not seeking his own vengeance, but he's trusting that God will do what is just. 
And they're not where the prayer of God's people should remain. David starts in fear and he starts in fury and anger. But that is not where the prayer ends. If the psalm ended there, then I think it would be a very major problem for David. But he does not end the psalm focused on the vengeance that is rightfully God's. He doesn't end the psalm there, which we know from Romans 12, when God gives us very straight instruction from Paul. He says, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. David doesn't end the psalm in his fury and in his anger. He leaves that vengeance in the hand of God and he turns his own soul towards God in faith and he finishes in faith. David begins his psalm with a very cynical view but a very honest view and he doesn't pull any punches and he doesn't try to minimize the harm and the cost of this betrayal cost him. And he looks at the situation with painful honesty. In a way, David in this psalm sort of takes stock of all the ways in which he was hurt. He takes inventory of exactly how much pain has come upon him And how much pain now he has to bring to God so that when he goes to God, he can take it all. That God can take all of the pain, all of the fear and all of the pain of this betrayal so he doesn't leave any of it behind. And he takes all that bitterness and all that fear and all that fury and he gives it over to God. In verse 16 he says, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening and morning and noon I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me even though many oppose me. And he goes on later to say, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, God, will bring down the wicked. And the bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. And so the problem of bitterness in response to sin or betrayal is a great one. If the psalm ended with David's anger at the people then we know how much bitterness would be left in David's heart. We all know of people who were hurt by someone close to them in the past and they're still dwelling on it. It could be months later. It could be years later. And this person is still hurt by the betrayal of years ago. It could be a woman who was profoundly hurt by a man in her life. And years later, if they've been unable to do as David done and move past the fear and the anger, then the bitterness of that wound leaves them unable still to trust any man in their life, even a faithful one. Or people have been hurt by churches that have acted carelessly or thoughtlessly. And if they can't get past that hurt in the past, their fear and their anger, they spend their lives speaking out poisonously against the very church of God. And they've cut themselves off from Christian fellowship because of a betrayal that is years old and they cannot move past the fear and the fury that it has caused in their life. And how sad is that? There are men and women who spend their adult years bitter over past hurts in their life and all of these people are deserving of mercy and compassion. But if they stop at fear and anger, they never move on to faith. Then they're allowing bitterness to steal the joy that God has in store for them. And this psalm is a warning to us and to them that God has in store for you great joy, but you will not find it if you stop at fear and anger. So what is the alternative? The New Testament alternative, the New Covenant alternative is to forgive those who have sinned against us. Not because they deserve to be forgiven. They don't. None of us deserve to be forgiven. But because Jesus has already forgiven us for a far greater betrayal than we can ever experience. God sent us the example in the person of His old son. God, who was already betrayed by His creation in the Garden of Eden. Who already knew what it was to be betrayed. He proactively sent His Son, Jesus, knowing that His Son would be betrayed. 
and that His Son was willing to be betrayed in order to willingly forgive us for our betrayal. So the example set before us in Jesus in betrayal is forgiveness. We don't forgive because people deserve forgiveness, but we forgive as an act of worship to the God of grace who even though He was betrayed, sent His Son in order to be betrayed so that He could forgive us for our betrayal. That's the example we have in our Father and in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we forgive. What David really needs, he brings us back to this, to his true need. He needs faith and trust in God, and that's where David finally turns. And when he turns to faith, it resolves itself in the way that's most helpful to David and most glorious to God. God hears David's voice during David's prayer time. It says, He hears my voice. And the Lord is near to him, and he trusts God here. He just did it in Psalm 40 as we looked at. He trusted him to lift him out of the pit. And we have even more hope because here David says we can look at the cross of Christ. David has the hope of his God and the testimony of Israel and all the acts of God in in Israel's life. But we have the cross. We have the cross of Jesus Christ and we know with certainty how much God loves us. David knows God will have final justice over evil. We know that God will be the final judge. If something needs to be paid for in our betrayal, God will take care of it. Psalm 73, you could turn to the writer in Psalm 73, Asaph. He admits that the apparent success of the wicked was ruining his life. It was making him bitter. But the psalm writer Asaph in Psalm 73 says, he says, then I entered the temple and I remembered their end. Right? He says, then I went to church and I remembered what's in store for all these people who betray me and all these evil doers. God's going to take care of them perfectly justly. He will take care of them with a justice that I don't have. And so we can take our fear and we can take our anger and we can trust God with it because He will do what is just. God is going to judge evil certainly and perfectly. But it's up to us to turn to Him in faith. It's up to us to forgive so that we don't carry the bitterness of fear and fury forward into our life, but we turn in faith. So we come back to our own example and we think about the profoundness of some of the betrayals that maybe we have faced. I've faced some betrayals in my life, but I trust me, I have not faced the betrayals that I know some of you have. You go through a divorce. How do you go through a divorce without a feeling of betrayal? There's parental abuse. There's spousal abuse. How is that not a betrayal of trust? There are children who feel let down by their parents. There's parents who feel let down by each other. There's there's, there's things in the church that have happened. Big, profound, serious betrayals that we have to turn to God in faith and we have to unburden ourselves to Him in. And then there's also all the day-to-day personal little wounds and hurts and betrayals of those that are close to us, even Christians that sin against us. But the answer of David here is to turn in faith and trust in God. He knows, God knows what betrayal feels like. He understands it because God lived through it in the person and humanity of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We have a high priest who's not unable to sympathize with us because he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Jesus went through the fear and he went through the anger and he went through the betrayal. His most trusted friend lifted his heel against him. And yet through that fear and through that fury and anger, he did not sin. He turned himself over to the Father in faith, knowing that God will judge appropriately. And so we have for us an example And finally, I just want you to notice this. Not only can we trust God with the most profound betrayals of our life, not only can we turn in faith to Him so that we can leave the fear and the anger behind, I want you to notice this. Right back at the very top, it doesn't even get a verse number. It's just a subtitle. It says, this is written for the director of music. 
a mascal, a teaching song. David intends for this song to be sung in public. He wrote this for the choir master, repeatedly sung by the congregation. This is, what is, meant, this is meant to be sung and acknowledged by the church. David is teaching out of his own pain. He shares his own pain and his instruction with the body of faith, the body of believers, the people of Israel. Isn't that amazing? David takes this profound betrayal and he says, we're going to sing about it every week or every month or whatever. He says, this is a mascal. This is instruction. And the lesson there is that we don't go through these betrayals alone. We, our betrayals and our hurts can be shared safely and properly and wisely in the congregation, shared in the body of Christ and in the church family for our own encouragement and help. We can go to people who can help us through the things that we've suffered through because they've suffered likewise, and they can teach and instruct and encourage. And there is healing and restoration in sharing our betrayals properly. I mean, you don't have to get up. We're not going to sing a song about them every week, okay, like David's. We're not, I'm not saying you have to write a song about your betrayal and we're going to sing about it every week. But share your betrayal in the body of Christ. That people can encourage us. We're not meant to bear our wounds alone. So we're not going to write a song about whatever happened to you last week and sing about it next week. But at the same time, don't keep it a secret. Don't think you have to struggle through this on your own. There are other people in this church family who have experienced what you've experienced, who have wisdom to share from you, with you from the Word of God who can encourage and bear the burden with you. So don't keep your hurts and your betrayal and your anger and your fear a secret. Confess your fear. Confess your fury. Confess your anger and let others help you move on into faith and trust in God. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who knows all of our fear. He knows all of our anger. And He's rescued us so that we can live by faith in peace and joy through forgiveness. That is the message that we have here from David as he has so wisely given us this psalm that we can look into his heart and see what he felt and know that it is, it's okay for Christians to be angry. It's okay for Christians to be fearful. But it's not okay for us to stay there. We need to move on to faith and trust in God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that you sent us Jesus so that we can with all honesty and all integrity, move on from fear and anger to forgiveness and into trust and faith in you. Because if we couldn't truly forgive, we could never really leave the anger behind. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your son and what he did on the cross to open the way of forgiveness, true forgiveness, forgiveness that actually heals and brings joy and that we can trust in you, that we don't have to be fearful or angry about the justice that isn't done or should be done or worry that we have to somehow cause that justice to come about. But we can just trust you because you're the God of perfect justice. And that betrayal and that sin, that will be dealt with in perfection by you, a perfect judge. And we don't have to worry about getting it wrong and causing more damage. But Lord, just this simple fact that this king, David, turned to you in faith and in trust and he cast his cares upon you. Let that be an example to us that although we fear and although we're angry and bitter, we don't remain there, but we turn to you. As Allison said, there's a huge, huge difference between crying out and just crying about it and calling out to God. Those are two very different things. So Father, for those that are crying out 
in anger. Help them to call out to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.